0: Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. This episode, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to be sharing a replay of our fourth annual Pitch Festivus event. This is our three-hour-long ultimate pitching event. It's going to start with a wonderful roundtable where you're going to hear from me and other top members of the Jacob Kruger Studio faculty. We're going to talk to you about pitching. We're going to answer a bunch of questions that different writers have about pitching. And then you're going to get to experience different pitches from writers from our community and hear the feedback from me and other faculty members so that you can learn more about how to pitch your own scripts and how to succeed in this challenging industry. Hang out, have a great time, and I hope that you benefit from it. Welcome to Pitch Festivus, another year has passed. Look at all you beautiful faces. I'm so excited to be sharing this time with you. Before we get going, I want to take a moment to introduce our admissions director, James Couts. Over the course of this evening, you're gonna be hearing from, I think, some of the best people teaching screenwriting right now. And if you wanna study with them, if you're curious, you can reach out to James with no obligation at any time and chat. Well, James, what happens when somebody reaches out to you? What does that look like?
1: Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, as Jake said, I'm the director of admissions here at the studio. If you want to know more about any of the, the mentors or um, programs that we discussed tonight, I am the person to talk to. Basically, we'll just hop on the phone and... Talk about your writing, talk about your goals and and any sort of blocks you might be facing, and we'll kind of find the most perfect personalized path for you. My email is james at writeyourscreenplay.com, and my calendar will be here in the chat throughout the night. And I'll be here too if you just want to DM me any questions. I am here to help.
0: Thank you so much, James. All right. So let me take a moment to introduce the incredible people that you are going to be pitching to and learning from today uh the first is christian lybrook christian came to me uh my good friend philip gilpin called me up we when we when we used to do our retreats in costa rica and philip called me up and he's like there's this guy and he keeps winning everything and he's incredible and you just have to make sure he can come on your retreat And, uh, and so I did. And I very quickly learned why Christian Lybrook is the kind of person that not just people like Philip Gilpin, but now a lot of really exciting producers go to bat for. He is a writer of just tremendous voice and vision. Um, But he's also just an extraordinary, extraordinary educator, right? A person who really knows how to kind of ease the best writing out of people. Um, the first piece of his that I saw was a piece uh, called City of Trees. Uh, that's just just a beautiful, moving, independent film. Um, he's worked um, in tiny little self-production. He, by the way, if you like fishing, he's a fishing reality star. And he's now started to grow in his career from these little micro-budget indies uh, and self-produced indies to working with some of the best producers in the business like Jeff Most and um, uh, 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 Noah Lang and right, like just really awesome, awesome producers who are now fighting for his work the way Philip was fighting for him many years ago. Um, so it's exciting to have someone who came up through our program, now teaching in our program. Christian uh, teaches ProTrack for us. Uh, which is our one-on-one mentorship program. So Christian, take a moment to say hi to everybody.
2: Hey, everybody. Um, Those of you who have been around for the Thursday Night Writes I get to host know that this is one of my favorite things to do is to be here with you guys, to work with writers, to learn about you and what your goals are, the voice that you've got as a writer and the things that you're pursuing and anything I can do to help you get there. So,
0: Thank you, Christian. Okay, next up, you're going to be learning from Jerry Prezygian. Um Jerry is a multi Emmy award-winning showrunner. Uh The Jeffersons, Married with Children, The Golden Girls, he was a writer on Frasier and The Nanny. Um he has he has worked um on if it was a hit show in the 80s or 90s, a hit comedy in the 80s or 90s, Jerry was on it. Um and uh I'll never forget when when Jerry's interview with me um, to just to, to start teaching here. And can we get Jerry uh, highlighted? I don't think we have him highlighted yet. There he is. There's Jerry Perzigian. Jerry's interview with me. He said something that I thought was so profound, right? I, I asked Jerry, I don't know if you even remember, but we sat down in this little cafe, give me coffee in Williamsburg, right? And I sit down with this guy who's a freaking legend, right? Who also just turns out to be the nicest, most caring guy. And all he wants to do is help new writers break in. And I asked Jerry, um, what would the, the most important gift you want to give a new writer be, right? And, and I don't know if you remember this, but Jerry said, first write it true and then make it funny. And that was the moment I knew I was going to hire him. And so I'm so happy that, that Jerry is here. We've convinced Jerry to offer a new class in the new year. That's um, going to be starting up on February 13th it is going to be a tv writers room workshop for comedy only so if you're writing a half hour comedy it's only for eight writers um if you would like to be a part of that what you do is let james know now cuz it's going to sell out we have hundreds of people here and there are only eight slots um and you can talk about how you, how do you apply and and all that kind of good stuff but it's going to be written run just like a real writers room like when jerry was a showrunner he is going to show run your show and on your day, it'll be the entire team, the whole class collaborating with you as if they were staff writers. Jerry playing the role of share runner and you playing the role of creator. Uh, it's gonna be absolutely extraordinary workshop and I'm so glad we're gonna have it. So Jerry, thank you so much for being with us. That's a good point that you emphasize that those sessions will be like
3: working sessions as if the show is really your the student's show. And the, the interaction will be the kind of interaction that writer's rooms, I've described it to you earlier as demythologizing the process. When I grew up, lived in Chicago, didn't know anything about TV, you think one thing. And then when you get there and confront the reality, it's it would be useful to know that stuff in advance. So when you're in the position, you won't be lost or awed. You'll be like, oh, I, I could talk to this
0: schmuck and because I just did. Awesome. And... Finally, we have Stephen Bagatorian. Stephen's another writer who came to us through introduction. Uh, I was talking to my friend Ramphus Myrtle, who's also on our faculty, who's a really wonderful independent film producer. And um, I said to Ramphus, you know, I'm looking for, for a new faculty member. I'm like, they have to be top level working writer, but I'm looking for somebody who can hold an artist's heart in their hand. And he said, I'm going to introduce you to the man who wrote the best script I've ever read. Uh, And that was Stephen Bagatorian. And and Ramfis was right, not only about the quality of Steve's writing, but uh, the quality of Steve's heart. Um, Steve's students have recently they've made the Sundance Lab they uh they one just placed number 9 on the blacklist uh 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 my I, he's going to have to list the 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 cuz I can't even keep them straight he's had mo- so many students win the Nickel fellowship right like huge awards um he's fostered the lives of, of so many new artists and it, it's so exciting uh he's also obviously an extraordinary writer in his own right, won the uh, grand prize at the International Cine Story Writing Competition when he was only 20. He wrote American Gun, which was nominated for three independent film, uh, Independent Spirit Awards. Uh, He wrote All Eyes on Me, the Tupac movie. Um, And he is one of those rare writers who has really spanned the gamut of doing the biggest Hollywood films and now tv to the smallest independent features we're so lucky to have you here steve
4: hey thank you so much jake for the incredibly kind uh, introduction there uh it's so so cool to be here hello to everybody thanks for coming out for our our little pitch festivus uh i'm super excited to be talking to all of y'all and um and yeah jake um what can i say i think you you said it all about uh you know my career and my students um I think uh, I, I could say, just to clarify, um, one of my students uh, here from uh, ProTrack last year uh, won the Sundance Lab for uh, Best Comedy Script. Uh, another one of my students uh, was selected for the ABC Disney Writing Fellowship and another student won the NBC uh, Directing Fellowship. And uh, And I think it was just this week, uh, one of my students got a, got a nine on the blacklist. And um, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, good news for my students recently, and I've been really, really proud and excited to be working with all of them. And it's been it's been a really good year.
0: Awesome. And while we're waiting, um, Karen Parton Wells was hoping to be here. She has the GI bug that's going around. She is sick as a dog. So she is unable to make it today, but she sends her well wishes. Um, I'm gonna raise a glass right now I'm going to raise a glass to my team. Um, Everybody is only as good as the team around them. Um, I'm only as good as my faculty. I'm only as good as my administrators, Um, Jose, Valeria, James, Summer, Laura, who you guys maybe don't even know because you don't get to see them on Thursday Night Right. Um, These people make this possible for all of you, all of us, every day and they work their butts off out of passion and love um and so we're we're so lucky to have them happy holidays everybody and thank you for being here okay we're gonna do a question and answer panel right now um hundreds of you submitted so many awesome questions and we kind of culled through them and tried to find the uh the the the, the most helpful versions for, for everybody. And we're going to answer as many of those questions as we possibly can. Um, and, and the first question comes from Pam Inglese. Um, Pam asked, why does pitching terrify me? So not kidding. Rhetorical question, but. Um, and I thought, what a great place to start, right? Because we're, we're all terrified, right? And so who wants to start? why terrified and what do you do about it all right jerry (laughs) well i use that
3: uh verb before demythologize if i think it would be helpful for it's presumptuous to say for everybody who's listening but i mean for everybody who's listening to know that everybody's afraid not only afraid to pitch but afraid to face that first blank page and, and 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 no matter how much success you may or may not have had in the past, each new venture is intimidating and it's scary. And every human is insecure. And if we weren't insecure, we wouldn't comb our hair. We wouldn't have table manners. We wouldn't be polite. So um, um, it's normal to have fear. That's why, I mean, specifically for pitching, <laughs> I would advise, and I think you guys would agree practice it practice it uh, alone practice it at starbucks practice it with your friends until they get sick of hearing it practice with your friends and see what lands see what works see what doesn't and 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 then little by little when you you gain confidence in your premise in your delivery of that premise in the places where you stop and hold and wait for a laugh or a reaction you'll you'll get less afraid but the but but my main uh, human advice would be just to remember that we're all in the same boat. And no matter how, you know, all uh, vanity is really insecurity. So when you see a, an executive that's pompous or, you know, sitting back in a chair and intim- that person is scared too and wants to be thought of in that way. So we're all in the same boat. And that would be my answer.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great answer. Uh, you know, I I'd love to just jump in on that. It's like, what else can you do about fear? And the, the, there are two antidotes to fear, I know. And, and I can really share this from personal experience. Um, I had the most intense social anxiety you can imagine when I was young, in my early 20s, when my, when my career was happening. I To say I was afraid to pitch was not even the problem. I was afraid to talk. I was afraid to look somebody in the eye and just share something. I was afraid to pick up the phone. I had absolutely crippling anxiety. I think it's important to know that because you wouldn't guess that today, those of you who know me, right? So it's important to recognize that you can overcome that. Um, And there are a couple of tools that are really valuable for overcoming. One of them, Jerry's already shared with you, which is practice, low stakes environments, If you're afraid of pitching, don't let your first pitch be a meeting with an executive in a fancy office. Let it be a meeting with somebody at a bar that is too drunk to remember whatever the hell you say. Let it it happen in low stakes environment, right? Get into the water slowly and then turn up the heat and you won't notice the heat turning up. The more you practice it, the less terrifying it becomes. The second key is breath. Every time you get nervous, take a breath. When you do that, you start to control the room. You start to actually feel more confident, but also you start to exude confidence to other people. They start to perceive you as more confident. You can also, this is a little NLP stuff. You can mirror people, particularly if you're live, it's easy. But like, let's say I'm pitching Matt Bader. I'm just going to mirror him, right? And I'm not, I'm not like, follow him crazy, right? But like, I'm going to find a time to kind of find his movements. He's so uncomfortable right now because I pointed it out to him. But if I didn't point it out to him, what actually happens is Matt starts to instantly like me. But also, I start to feel what it must be like to be Matt. So what mirroring does is it builds empathy, right? It builds empathy for both of you, right? Matt goes, ah, this guy's like me. And I go, oh, Matt's bored. Oh, Matt's uncomfortable. Oh, Matt's nervous. Oh, Matt's excited. I can start to feel what he's feeling, and that feels safer. The third piece is don't fucking sell. And that's the hardest piece for people to understand, right? Because the whole point of a pitch is, like, does anybody not want to sell their script? Right. We all want to sell our script. Don't fucking sell. Not not if you are if you are a salesperson, please ignore everything I'm saying. Right. If you're a great salesperson, please sell. But if you are a normal human being who's not a salesperson and you're not comfortable with sales and you haven't been trained in sales, don't fucking sell. This was the thing that opened it up for me. I was so anxious about selling about being liked, about saying something smart, about being judged. But I wasn't anxious about helping people. I was never anxious about helping people. I always wanted to help people. And I was always comfortable when I was helping people. Does anybody else feel like that? Like, yeah, I feel comfortable helping people. Your pitch is helping somebody. Your pitch is helping somebody who is in desperate need of your idea because they don't have it, who's in desperate need better said of your script because they don't have it. And if you think of your pitch as an answer to their problem, you're helping them. It's a lot easier to feel safe when you're helping somebody. And we could talk as this kind of continues about what does that mean and how do you kind of turn that around to to be helping people? Awesome.
2: Can I piggyback just real quick? Yeah. I think the other thing is our brain tells us, this is it. This is the shot. And it puts a lot of pressure on us, but the odds are if you've gotten a pitch, that means people are interested and you're going to get more than one pitch. So you don't need to go into it thinking everything rides on this meeting. Right. Yeah. You're just going in there to make friends and you're going, okay, cool. Let's do this. Right. And try and take that pressure off. you. So
0: Yeah. Um, By the way, I saw something interesting from Amy in in the chat. Amy says, when someone mirrors me, it makes me feel uncomfortable that they can't stand on their own. It means they're doing it wrong. Um, If you try to, like, catch up with somebody, um, they will feel uncomfortable. If you kind of just and if you tell them, they'll definitely feel uncomfortable. But if you generally match their body movement, um, people have these things called mirror neurons. There's neurobiology around this. Right. It is impossible to not feel affinity for somebody who's mirroring you if they are doing it right so it might just be that you need training in how how mirroring works okay um do's and don'ts um maggie grant asked it's always great to hear a list of don't ever do this in your pitch <laughs> that would be very helpful do you guys have some don't ever do this is
4: Um, Jake, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I would say probably uh, one of the worst things I ever did in a pitch was I, I opened with like a deep kind of philosophical treatise on the the nature of language and the history of just like speaking and making noises with our mouth it was a it was a long kind of a just philosophical thing that I thought was fascinating that was kind of obliquely connected to the story I was pitching on some sort of metaphorical uh, level uh by the time I got about um two minutes into my what I thought was my, my brilliant metaphor that I opened with, um, everyone in the room had completely checked out and was now actively hostile to anything else I was gonna say. So um, one thing I would recommend is like, don't get too clever. <laughs> don't get too smart for yourself or uh, too smart for the room. Um, don't think that you're a genius walking in there with some idea that no one's ever heard before. Just walk in there humble and excited to tell a good story. And if you can just be excited to like, you know, pretend you got a bunch of people around a campfire and you got a great story to tell, and it's it's not about you and and how, how smart you are, how much you want to impress people with like, you know, what you know, you just want to get people excited. You want to get people's eyes to light up about something really cool that they can engage with. So I feel like on a lot of levels, uh, pitching is a lot simpler than um then we build it up to be often because once you're in the room you're you're just around a modern day campfire and all these executives have boring lives and boring jobs in large part and you get to be a bright spot in someone's day if if you can walk in there and just really tell a great old-fashioned story and if any of you have like family members like mothers fathers anyone who could entertain everyone around a dinner table with a great story uh pitching to an executive is no different. It's just being able to hold people's attention and kind of go from strength to strength in a cool story without wasting a ton of time on boring, unimportant stuff like long histories of like the, you know, the uh, the origins of language and human consciousness. No one, no one wants to hear that when you're pitching to the sci-fi network about a story about goblins and demons. They don't care. Just tell them about the fucking goblins and demons and go from there.
0: I love that, Steve. But uh, you mm-hmm. know what I also love? a huge mistake and you're a hugely successful writer, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's so uh, important to know, right? Like even the people you look up to make terrible mistakes and survive them, <laughs> right? And so uh, that's one of my don'ts is don't be so safe, right? Don't be so safe that you don't do the pitch you want to do, Right. Don't be so safe that you never make a mistake, right? You're you're gonna learn from your mistakes and you're gonna grow. And as long as you're not a jerk, you're gonna have other chances to pitch. Christian, you have a you have a don't?
2: Yeah, I always go back to um this is a Christopher McQuarrie. I'm gonna paraphrase Christopher McQuarrie, quote. Christopher McQuarrie wrote, um, the usual suspects and won the Oscar for best screenplay at age 24. Talk okay. him. Um, but he also, um, he almost got drummed out of the industry. He's got a really interesting story. If you get a chance to listen to some interviews with him, but he's done all the mission and Imp- recent mission impossible movies and was part of Top Gun Maverick and all these things with Tom Cruise. And he talks about the only reason people pay attention to stories um, is for emotion. So if you find yourself getting to the place of information, You know, what Macquarie says is, information is the enemy of emotion, emotion is the only reason we really care about stories. And our job as a writer is to create an experience. And that experience by definition is emotion. So if you find yourself kind of like, don't get me wrong, there's some information we need to give to the people there. But if you find that it's sort of like biographical details and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens, it's a sign for you to be able to take a step backwards and create an opportunity to go, what is the emotion? that I'm creating in these moments. And I think if you could focus on that, you're, you're halfway there. Love it, Christian.
3: Jerry, you got a don't? You guys might not agree. Well, are you don't go past yes. And that might sound obvious, but <laughs> yeah, some people uh, have to, oh yeah, then what I forgot to tell you. And then, oh, the other, yeah. and then another element of, that, that just gives that room something else that they m- might disapprove of. So don't go, when you get yes, be humble and polite and dignified and accepted. But this is the part you might not agree. Don't go past no either. If you see that they're not interested, don't desperately flounder and try. Because I think Christian was saying you're going to get another chance if you have. A, don't try to jam through a, 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 an idea, a concept or, 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 or a, a, a presentation that you see is not landing. It, it might not land. And you just take your lumps and go move on to the next one maybe you have another idea for that same meeting or maybe you have to make another meeting somewhere else but don't, yeah. so don't go past yes or no
0: i i think that that's a genius piece of advice right and uh you know sometimes you have such an urge on both sides, right? On the yes, you're just like, I just want the feeling again, right? Of seeing them light up, right? And on the no, it's like, I know this is right for them and I know their objection is not actually sensible, (laughs) right? Um, And there is nothing you can do. Um, But one of the things that I've learned, it took me a while because I used to be the guy who tried to fight through no, uh, because I like arguing. And I always thought, well, of course, I can answer their objection. And what I actually learned was to read their face. Right. So like right now, Christian's smiling and uh, Stephen looks contemplative uh, and Jerry, I can't read his face. Maybe he's pissed off at me. I know he's smiling. Everything's cool. Right. Um, but if if I was pitching somebody and Christian, give me an uninterested face. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, Christian, this is not the story for you, is it? Right. I'm going to call him out the moment I see the stink face from him. Right. I'm going to call him out nicely. Right. Boy, I am not pitching. And, and what I just did was I honored our emotional relation, our human relationship. Right. Like in a in the real world, if you're out with your friends and you started to tell a story and, and your friend looked like Christian just looked, you'd be like, I guess that was boring. <laughs> right. Um. So. So one of the things I learned was actually to, to call it out. And when you do that. Everybody sighs in relief, right? Like Christian doesn't have to listen to another 10 minutes of something he's never going to buy, and I don't have to spend another 10 minutes feeling like I'm banging my head up against the wall. Right. And we just honored each other's humanity. And Christian's is probably going to look at me and go, yeah, man, it's not, dude. It is not right. And I'm going to go, OK, great, Christian what are you looking for right now? I'm back to helping and maybe I have something like that. And if I do, I can now pitch him something that that he's going to like. Um, and if I don't, um, then I'm going to say something like that. I might say something like, boy, Christian, I am the wrong screenwriter for you, but could I pick your brain for a moment? Um, that line, could I pick your brain for a moment, is the most valuable line you will ever have. Anybody who says no to you, turn them into a mentor, right? Unless they're a jerk. Don't let any jerks into your life. I don't care how famous they are. But anybody who's a no, turn them into a mentor. Can I pick your brain for a moment? Okay, I got this script. I know it's not for you. But I also know it's like this script, this script, this script. that made a lot of money recently, right? I know it's got a great role for this actor, this actor, this actor who you worked with, but I'm not going to mention that. Right. Um, And the script is really ready. Who would you bring it to? Right. And at this point, Christian's probably going to be like, you know what? Send it to me, because if it's that good, he doesn't want to lose out on it. And he's thinking, well, I could just send it to Keanu. Right. Um, Or he's going to be like, I don't know. Right. And in which case you go, but Christian, whatever you know is so much more than a baby little writer like I knows, right? And I know you got this, you got city of truth, you got this made, you got that made. You have a way of doing it. What would you do if you were in my shoes? I'm going to shut up. And Christian's eventually going to go, I don't know, maybe I would bring it to blank. And then I'm going to get my ass in. I'm going to go, hey, Christian, could I ask you for an introduction? right? Could I mention your name when I call, right? And if he says yes, I'm now a warm call, not a cold call. If he says no, I'm going to say, okay, thank you so much for your time, Christian. But if he says yes, I'm going to say thank you so much for your time. See, I'm still not going past the yes. It means so much to me to have a mentor like you, that someone at your level would take the time for somebody like me. And I'm going to email you and let you know how it goes. Right. You see, I just made him a mentor and I just set up my next contact with him. I just turned him into a fan of Jake Krueger, as opposed to the guy who's pissed off because I spent all this time saying no. Every bad meeting is an opportunity to build a network of people who become your champions. OK, I have one more little. Uh, yeah, not some yeah. It's going to sound silly,
3: but it just occurred to me. a um, um, uh, uh, veteran writer hollywood successful told me once in a, any pitch meeting any pitch meeting when the assistant says would you like something to drink just ask for water coffee will be oh do you want milk do you want tea do you want creamer do you want black white the hot the, the, more caffeine and if it's tea you're going to have a tea bay you got to mess around with so don't complicate your morning with uh, a, a hot beverage just ask for water
0: and that's it That that's a, awesome another, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk, uh, this is probably going to be a controversial topic, I would guess. Let's talk about comps. We have so many different questions about comps. Uh, Harold asks for comps, do you always want to reference successful shows? Megan says, so many mixed messages about comps. Is it more about tone, style, format, content? Can I use a comp that's old but iconic, like the Golden Girls? Um, If you're pitching Jerry, definitely. because he was a writer on it. <laughs> uh, uh, is it um, Maggie Maggie Grant asked, is it okay to comp a film when a, a film when I'm pitching a TV series if I can't strong find a strong enough TV comp, right? And then Sean asked, um, I've heard execs are sick of film comps, but I also heard you absolutely have to include them. What's the truth? And so I wonder. First, could somebody uh, for those people who don't know, could some um, could somebody talk about what comps are? And what they're supposed to do. And then I'd love to hear like what are your thoughts on comps and how do you guys use them or not use them?
4: Okay. Um, sure. I can I can jump in on that, Jake. Um, so a comp in Hollywood terms is basically when you hear somebody ask you about your movie or your TV show, and they ask you, um, you know, is it like this meets that? You know, meaning, is it like it's a wonderful life? meets die hard or is it is it like uh you know armageddon meets uh a fish called wanda you know what what is the general ballpark that your movie is going to exist in now when i first got into hollywood i thought this was silly because i wanted people to realize that everything i was writing was just so highly original there was no point in like giving comparisons uh but what i came to realize is people are asking for comps for a couple different reasons uh the most obvious kind of creative reason is that it's very, very difficult for people to imagine the tone of the story that you're writing. And so since they don't trust you to represent the tone in some kind of, you know, florid sentence or two that describes what it feels like. They're just asking you to mention another cinematic experience or a TV experience that your thing feels like. So that way, if they love the comedy in A Fish Called Wanda or if they love the action in Armageddon, they get a sense for the general ballpark that you're landing in. The other reason they're asking for a comp is they wanna be able to say to their boss or their fellow executives that the thing you're pitching has some iota of commercial value. And so they wanna know that it compares to something else that has made money, which is why it is really essential to the person who asked this question that yes, you must only reference comps that have made money. If you compare your film to something that has lost money, that's like walking into an investment meeting with like potential investors for your startup and comparing your business idea to a couple of failed businesses and saying it's gonna be like this meets that, and then expecting someone to like back up the Brinks truck to your house, it's not gonna happen. So you need to only reference, ideally highly successful movies or TV shows and dance between the raindrops and pitch your thing somewhere in the middle of that, right? Um, but also be careful, you know that whatever the things are you're referencing are something that people would have some chance of having seen. Don't reference a successful, you know, Hong Kong action movie from you know the early 1980s just to prove that you've got indie kid film school cred, because the executive's just going to give you a blank stare. So reference reasonable films, reasonable TV shows that a, a normal human might have had some chance of seeing. And also things that have ideally made a lot of money. So that's my that's my little
0: spiel on comps. Yeah. What about old comps? What are your thoughts?
4: I personally I think they're great. I think if you can have an old comp, you know, like it's a wonderful life or something like that, it's terrific, but you should combine it with something, something contemporary. That would be my thought.
0: What do you I, I hear a lot of people go, it's this, meets this, meets that, meets this. What are your thoughts about lots and lots of comps versus simple comps? Um, Christian, what are your thoughts? I've made Stephen talk forever. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I, I think he, 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 there's this uh, strategy. there's a book that I don't know if it's still popular, but back in uh, you know 10 years ago, um, there was this book called Don't Make Me Think and it was about writing uh, developing websites. And that's my approach for a lot of this stuff is if you're gonna start a laundry list of movies that your movie is like, what it can communicate is you don't know what your movie is. Right, um, and the God's honest truth is if you've got two strong comps, that should be plenty, right? So I would say, keep it short and sweet. Um, you know, the one thing I would add is that I think um, there's different ways of doing comps. One of the questions we got was around, oh, can I pitch tone or can I say, oh, it's sort of like, it's it's akin to the tone of, of Fargo, the TV show. And, um, and I would say, yeah, absolutely. We can do that kind of stuff. If you're going to do this meets that, you've got to make sure that those two comps are different, right? Um, because otherwise, you're, it's not this meets that, it's actually just cumulative. It's like, um, you know, no country for old men meets there will be blood. And it's like, well, those are kind of sort of in this, they came out in the same year, they're the same. Right. So we want to make sure that what we're actually doing is looking from the outside in what does that produce that development exec that's sitting across the table how are they going to respond to it it can't always be from the inside out where it's like this is what i want to say about it right so that's what i would throw at you.
0: yeah i um i <laughs> my background doesn't have a hat i've just found out in the chat i i feel deeply hurt team uh <laughs> uh, uh christian's point is really good. A comp has to be so clear. Right. It's this meets that. And they go, oh. Right. If if you pitch this meets that to your friend and they look at you like, oh, right. Your comp isn't a comp yet. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. Right. When you say this meets that, you want to see people's eyes light up. Right. Otherwise, you may as well not have a comp right? Because your comp's not doing any good. And that's actually more important than am I pitching TV comp for TV? Am I pitching feature for feature? Is it old? Is it new? And you're going to get, and with all pitching things, you're going to get conflicting advice the moment you step into a meeting with development executives, right? Because development executives are not all the same person. And by the way, they're not all good at their jobs, right? Some of them are great at their jobs, right the top of the bell curve, and some of them are average at their job. Most of them. Right. And some of them really suck at their jobs. Right. And so just because they're an executive doesn't mean they're actually good at their job. Right. Um, And it doesn't mean that their feedback is correct right? And so one person's going to go you have to have comps. And the other person's going to go I hate comps. Don't give me comps. And the other's going to say they should be newer. And the other's going to say they should be more iconic. And then the other's going to say they should be less iconic cuz everyone uses the iconic comp, right? And what I'd say is the comp if you're going to use comps should make somebody go like this. Oh. Right? So personally, I don't like comps. I don't like using them. Um, and that I like making the person I'm pitching say, right? So I like crafting a pitch in such a way, if I'm pitching Jerry, right, that Jerry at the end of it goes, oh, is this meets that, right? Um, If I can practice my pitch and people go, oh, it's this meets that, I know my pitch is really working. And then at the same time, I'm always going to have my comps in my back pocket because some producers really, really like them. Right. And if, if they want them, you better be able to be like, bang, here they are. Um, you could also give a comp with a twist. So like I'm working on a piece called The Amateurs right now um, that basically Ocean's Eleven if everyone sucked at their job. Right. And so I can give you I can get you don't need another comp. You already got what it is. You got what the tone is. You got that it's funny you got that it's going to have the action and the adventure and the heist sequences of Ocean's Eleven. And you get that, oh, it's Ocean's Eleven meets Dumb and Dumber, right? I didn't have to give you Dumb and Dumber for you to get it. I could just give you a twist on an iconic film. Okay, great. Um, All right, here's another controversial one. Agents and managers and how to even find someone to pitch. So Uh, let me ask some of the different ways people ask these questions. Uh, Mark LaBella asked, what's the best strategy to get a manager? Crystal Keith asked the same thing for an agent. Uh, Jen Fontaine, um, said, well, querying doesn't seem effective, right? So what are you supposed to do? Dane Watkins said, how do I even find anyone to pitch as a newer screenwriter? Um, and then, uh, Nathaniel Brown asked it on like a little bit of a more professional level, right? How do you find producers, production companies, and executives to pitch once you perfected your pitch? How should you craft your pitch knowing that the pitch itself will change depending on who you're pitching? Um, And many, many, many other versions of this. So like, how do you get to the right person? How do you know who the right person is, right? And, And how does that connect to representation? When should people be thinking about representation?
4: My, no- my answer might be uh, slightly annoying to some writers, but it's honestly like, I think a, a true and useful answer. Um, I think that the vast majority of writers who are looking for representation are not in fact ready to be represented. And it's just a giant waste of time to send out scripts that are not really up to snuff to a whole bunch of, you know, managers and agents. It's just kind of a, you know, it's an exercise in uh, futility. What I like to tell writers is uh, if you wanna get a manager or you wanna get an agent, just become highly obsessive about your craft and become highly obsessive about writing, not just a good script, but a great script and pushing yourself to become a fantastic screenwriter. And what I've found is that when someone crosses a certain threshold as a writer, whether they're a student or a friend or a colleague or whatever, when you read a great script, um, you know it's incumbent upon you as someone who has any connections to wanna help that person. And so anytime a student of mine writes a script that I think actually deserves representation, I'm the first one to volunteer and say, hey, you know, do you want me to send this to my manager? Do you want me to send this to such and such person I know? Because I see that they're ready and I know that it would be worth sending. So what I've found is if you really focus on your craft, your work will do the networking for you. And the more you get your scripts out there, people will want to help you if they read a script that they think is truly great. Um, But if you're not writing really great scripts, then, you don't have any business really wondering about managers or agents. You should just be focusing on craft, craft, craft. And once you're kind of in that ballpark, managers and agents will suddenly pop up in your life because things will start happening that will bring them into your life. And as, as an example, my student I mentioned, who's my protract student, he just got a nine on the Blacklist website a few days ago this week. And he's been texting me the last couple of days because the day he got the nine on the Blacklist, an agent from CAA emailed him that evening. Now he's been trying to get an agent for years, but now that he's got a nine on the blacklist, CAA is contacting him. And so really he's just kept his nose to the grindstone for the last two years, writing and writing and writing. And he's been working on the same script with me for two years in ProTrack. And he's finally starting to get attention for it, but he has been just a madman about his craft. Week in, week out, he's been obsessing over every single scene. And in my experience, it's that kind of focus that can catapult you into a place where reps are looking for you. And I think that's a much stronger position to be in rather than kind of running around the digital town with your hat in your hand, sending out emails to 200 people, you know, waiting for someone to discover you. Um, Just write a great script. Write a great script. Put the great script out there, and at that point, um, the world the world can change. If if your craft is at the right level, that's my experience. I'll chime in,
2: yeah. Um, and Steve's dead on with with all what he said. You know, oftentimes the conventional wisdom is when the time is right, they'll find you, right? Which is what Steve said. The other thing I would add is that let me go. Well, what do I do in the meantime, right? Mm-hmm. Do I just only focus on craft? And um, some of you know I live in Idaho. Right. And it's like the Mecca of filmmaking and screenwriting that is Idaho. I have to work extra hard because I'm not in L.A., you know, or New York or, or one of these other places. And so what that means is I have to put a lot of time and energy into creating relationships. Right. And um, because, you know, to Steve's point. Once you do find your tribe and those people that, that respond to your work, they are gonna kind of like do the work for you in a way. They're gonna start saying, oh, this is a great script. Who do I give it to? But you know, if, if we can start to create those relationships and really create community, like when I think about this stuff, it's just like, I'm just trying to make friends. You know, like the more we start to, when we start to query people, kind of what we're saying is, what can you do for me? Right, and going back to Jake's note about like, our job is to solve their problems. Right. And so the more we can kind of create that community and say, hey, what are you guys looking for? What are you working on? Is there anything, you know, like and so I think that there is an opportunity there to start developing those relationships, go to film festivals, start meeting people that are at your eye level. Right. Start meeting people. Maybe are up here. Start mentoring people or helping people that are maybe just a little bit below you because everybody's going to rise together. Right. So, so put your focus on that stuff as well. But you can't. Steve's right. You cannot underestimate craft. Good is not good enough.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, I let me just uh, piggyback real quick, Christian, on what you're saying. Um, I completely agree with that last part that Christian was saying. Also, um, find a writers group. Get into a writers group. Start your own writers group. Go join a writers group. Um, if you're looking for a manager or an agent there's nothing you can do that'll accelerate your craft or get you better faster than becoming part of a peer group of serious serious-minded writers who are focused and so whether you're in Idaho or whether you're in Germany or whether you're in you know the Virgin Islands wherever you are these days it's easier than ever to find a group of people to you know to have have a zoom a zoom session with every couple of weeks and just workshop pages uh, as Christian said find your tribe find a peer group to work with and that's how you get better fast as a screenwriter. Um, that's certainly what I've seen. And it's actually one of the things we do here at the school that I'm most excited about is, uh, the workshops that we offer, which basically are mimicking writers groups where, you know, we get a bunch of people in a room every, every two weeks and we table read pages and we all critique each other. And, you know, I think that's a fantastic way for writers to grow and learn from each other. Like, like Christian was saying.
5: Yeah.
0: I, I, also want to piggyback on something Christian said, which is all of networking is finding your people. And that's the opposite of the way I used to work at look at networking, which is probably why I was so nervous. Right. I used to look at it as like trying to get people to do something for me. Right. It's not that it's finding people you vibe, finding people you like, finding people whose art you find interesting, finding people whose conversation you find interesting. Right. Like And and by the way, producers, they feel the same way. They don't want to buy a great script from an asshole if they can avoid it. Right. They they want to they're going to be spending years developing it with you. They they want to like you. Right. And not everyone's going to like you and and you're not going to like everyone. So the other thing you can do right now, if you're not represented is go to film festivals, go to good film festivals. I just got back from Austin Film Festival, which is one of the best film festivals out there for, for writers. They have an incredible writers festival. But you can just hobnob with like the greatest writers in the world, right? You could just talk to them. Go to Sundance. Go talk to Go talk to the producer of your favorite film after you've seen it. Become their friend, right? These people, you're looking for the people who are like one degree above you right and you're also looking for the people who are one degree below you who you can go hey let me show you how you do that right let me help you right because you know five years from now that person's a development executive and they're going to remember that help and they're going to remember and and so you want to you want to find your people and and you want to invest in them right and and that's what's going to do it and honestly you don't want a freaking agent until you have a library until you have a library of scripts because you what's going to happen is you're gonna get a hot you're gonna get signed by your agent, right? Let's say, let's say you pull off the miracle, right? Which probably means you spent two years of your life doing nothing but getting an agent. Somehow you have one great script, right? Somehow you pulled off the miracle, even though you didn't sell the script yet. The agent somehow signed you, which rarely, rarely happens. Usually it's the other way around. Usually you sell your script and then you get whatever agent you want, right? Um, you got one script. And, and what's gonna happen is for one second, the agent's going to be like, oh, you are my sexy new client. Tell me about you. And you're going to be like, well, I'm working on this new thing. And your agent's going to be like, okay, uh, reach out when you're done. And three months from now, six months from now, when you're done, you're going to reach out and your agent's going to be like, who the hell are you? Right? Because for the, all that time, they couldn't make any money on you. Right. Um, To even just get you work, they need two writing samples that kind of tell a story together, right? And so put your focus on building your library of scripts. Uh, They don't have to be the same genre, but they need to tell a story together about who you are as an artist, right? And they all need to be of the same quality. And you want three, four, five unbelievable scripts. And what that's going to do is that's going to put you in a position when you do get signed where your agent's like, I can get you writing gigs. I can make money on you. And if they make money on you, they invest in you. If they don't make money on you quick, they forget about you. And now you're just searching for another agent. You're just back in that same circle again. Okay, we have time for one more question. I'm gonna direct this one to Jerry um, because there's a different kind of pitching that happens in a writer's room, right? Um, You know, when we think about pitching, we're often thinking about like, how do I sell a script, right? Um, but there's, there's a whole other realm of pitching, which is like, I'm in a writer's room. I'm, a, I'm, ai am working. Jerry's my showrunner, right? I, there are eight other writers in this room. Right. And I have an idea and I'm curious, like as a showrunner, Jerry, what are you looking for when a, when a writer speaks up, what are the kind of contributions you're looking in those kinds of pitch where, when the pitch is a contribution to a story that people are developing together?
3: My answer will probably probably be obvious. In it, it uh, first of all, has to fit the theme or the premise of the show and service the characters of the show as it exists. So it can't it can't it can't be from the moon or incongruous just because it's funny. Um, um, back to what you were saying earlier. Don't don't start with funny. Start with um, 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 a, a, a thought that. Somebody told me the day I got to Hollywood in the eighties, and it's still true that whatever is personal is universal, and 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 so may, maybe um, I mean there are no rules, but because some people make a great living out of just wild imagination, but <clears throat> I prefer something grounded in reality, and and I, I don't I don't know if that's uh, like across the board essential in television, but to me it is. Um, um, there was a guy. That produced uh, everybody loves Raymond, and he ran that show so efficiently uh, that people went home at a reasonable hour to have dinner with their families. I never heard of such a thing in TV. But one of the one of the one of the uh, his uh, 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 stipulations was, I'll let you go home at six o'clock with the with the um, uh, assignment: pick a fight with your significant other, and then tell us about it tomorrow morning, so that we can. Play around with it and see if we can turn it into an episode, and 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 he literally required his people to have domestic battles at home and then report about them at work because that's what that series was. So so I I mean I don't know if that answers the question, but whatever is sure. personal is universal, is 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 how I would start, and and um um you don't always need. If you're pitching in the room, you don't always need the resolution. You just need the the predicament, and then maybe the obstacle to that predicament, and then hope that, because in comedy, I don't know if it's true for you guys, screenwriting, in comedy, half the TV, literally, absolutely, and there's hardly any absolute. Nobody does it alone. It really is a group effort, always, um, 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 because I think that you know comedy, by definition, is. Surprise! A punchline is a surprise. So if you're just thinking linear in one direction, it's not going to be as funny as if some pot smoking knucklehead in the room says, "Well, what about this instead of that?" Oh, okay, let's try that. So, so, so um, um, you don't always need the the full uh, uh, episode worked out, but um, you have to give uh, the pot smoking knuckleheads some something to work with and something to think about. So I, I would say that I would say start with something personal. I tell people, and I'm sure you guys are going to agree with this, keep a notebook because you think you're going to remember when something quirky, idiosyncratic, or weird or odd, or it, 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 but you don't remember as 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 vividly as you. So if you have a notebook with, uh, the the, the uh, Larry David, I think he was not till he was 40 that he was successful, and he had a these dirty old grimy wired, nope, with just stuff that happened. I'm sure he saw somebody eat a, a half a grapefruit and get squirted in the eye, and then it became an episode of some. I'm sure of it. So that's another, another example of whatever's personal is universal. Keep track of it. Keep a record of it. And don't be shy about... Um, and, and then lastly, I'll say, don't be afraid to make an ass out of yourself because if you are reticent and quiet especially in comedy th- th- you will be you will be marginalized and nobody will uh, pay attention or tr- but 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 it, i tell my staff to stop the opposite of the stupidest idea in the world is the smartest idea in the world so even if you tell me the worst piece of shit idea if i flip it around it becomes the best idea so you're contributing even if you say something dumb so so don't hold back try to be personal and imaginative and um, um, uh, trust your or or work with your peers be uh, you you guys were talking a lot about likability be likable enough that
0: the other people are going to help you rather than sabotage you yeah yeah beautiful Um, thank you all that was such an incredible incredible hour we just spent together we're about to transition into the next phase where we're going to start hearing pitches so um uh i'm gonna the team is our is our wheel ready our wheel is ready but also our first big from the instagram contest is ready oh yeeha so um and who is that pick is jd Ellaby. all right so jd won our instagram contest and that means he's going to be the first person to pitch Give him a round of applause for being first. Um, let's get Christian Lybrook and, and JD up so that um, Christian can hear his pitch. Let's get his clock up so he can get started.
6: Over the past 25 years, I've traveled well over a million miles in search of the next MLB star. I've been chased down back roads in West Virginia. I've uh, been cornered in the parking lot by angry parents. I've even been pulled over by the Federales in the heart of cartel country. I mean, they lined us up on the side of the highway. I hadn't seen Sicario yet, but I, I was I was a little worried. Uh, my name is J.D. Ellaby. I'm a Major League Baseball scout, and I'd like to invite you into my world. I would come off the road. I'd have all these stories, and my, my wife, daughter, and son would listen, and my wife finally said, you need to write these down. And so that, that's what I did. I put them into an hour-long pilot. It's a drama titled The Kingmaker. It's a coming-of-age story about a young African-American baseball scout who puts his job on the line when he vouches for an undiscovered pitching phenom who's trapped in the drug game. A key moment occurs in the pilot when our main character's ruthless supervisor lets him know that he's on the verge of being fired, and this comes on the heels of his ex-fiancee telling him that she's pregnant. Our main character needs, he needs a miracle to save his job. And that miracle just might be the the troubled prospect that that he found. Um, Each week, as as our main character searches and continues to search for the next MLB star, he'll encounter parents uh, enabling players, players hiding vices. And our main character will even realize that he's been searching for a closer relationship with his father, um, a disgraced former scout. As the series progresses, our main character begins to understand that his job is bigger than just a a scouting job. He has the opportunity and the power to change lives. As he realizes this, he starts to embrace his role as the kingmaker. Thank you.
0: All right.
2: Wow. JD, great to meet you. Uh, I'm a Red Sox fan. So I see your Tampa Bay hat there. Yeah, hey, man, Um, good uh, battles,
6: good battles. (laughs) That's true, that's true. Uh,
2: Really, 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 I I thought that was a really strong pitch. Um, It's obvious, at least to me, that you have really honed this, you've practiced it, you've got it in front of people, you've gotten feedback, and you've really worked on, how do I do this, how do I present this in a very short window, right, of time, right? Um, You know, some of the things that really stood out to me is your background as a baseball scout. Right? It's like, oh, because a lot of what we're selling is ourselves, right? As the writer, as the creator. And uh, one of the questions we always kind of get, whether it's implied or whether it's explicit is, why are you the person to tell the story? Right? Um, and it's clear why you are, right? And um, and this is also a story that uh, not... it. it goes deep into the baseball community, right? I'm always a fan of microcosms, worlds that I don't encounter on a daily basis, right? And I think the more specific we can get, this is a paraphrase of what Jerry said about, uh, you know, making it personal. The more specific we get, the more universal it becomes because we live our lives very specifically, you know? So I love everything that you're doing. One of the things that I might put a little bit of focus on, but really had really strong pitches. Um, I, I wanted to get just a little bit better sense of who that protagonist is, and sort of, you know, you mentioned that sort of the story engine is going to be from week to week. He's going to be looking for a new. Um, sort of prodigy or a new phenom. And I sort of got a little bit confused as to whether, oh, is this sort of a case of the week thing where he's gonna be looking at a different phenom every time. But then at the same time, you said that he discovers a phenom who's trapped in the in the drug world or in the drug trade. So um, honestly, I, I was like, I wanna watch the show, right? So really nice work. And uh, yeah, we'll see what Jake has to say.
0: Awesome, thank you, Christian. Um, and by the way, I saw the question in the chat. Um, Please chat in everything that works, everything that resonates for you in the pitches that you're hearing. Because uh, after they're done pitching and they've stopped shaking, the uh, wonderful people who are pitching will be so moved uh, to see what your thoughts were in the chat. Um, The only reason we're not reading them aloud is just to move through things quickly today so we can get as many pitches as we can. So, um, J.D., this is my second time hearing the pitch. I heard it Thursday Night Rights, and I think it's even stronger today. you're you are really, really good at pitching um, and I, I'm, the, I'm the same with Christian. Like you'd have to hog tie me to keep me from watching this, mo- this show. Like, I want to I want to watch this show. Um, I I really liked the moment that you chose to introduce yourself this time. you were like, I'm J.D., right? And I want to invite you into my world. And I was like, I want to know about his world, <laughs> right? Like it was uh, it was a really nice, elegant pitch. Um, I love the How do you title know, title. he's good at pitching. How do you know? He's not a left fielder or a catcher. How do you know? He's- <laughs> so, uh, I, 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 love the kingmaker as a title. I still want to add a little more structure to this pitch. JT. I actually think if you came in when I was a development executive and you pitched me this, I would be like, let's see the script. Absolutely. And I would also be asking myself, maybe there are some structural challenges in the script, right? Cause usually when I hear little structural things in a pitch, There are little structural things in the script. It seemed just to kind of piggyback on Christian, we're still figuring out how the format works and how the the travel and the relationship work. And so um, I'm going to give you a little bit more focused feedback. I would first look at, we know that he's threatened with being fired. I would think about dropping in the moment why. What happens that leads him to almost get fired? Because that's going to help answer Christian's question about like who he is right and it's going to help us understand why he's taking a chance on this kid uh the second thing is the kids i think part of a cartel right which is different than just the drug gang right and so if that's true if i heard that right let's let's know that so that we can know where it takes place and then i want you to think about how does the relationship with the kid put pressure on the relationship with his boss with his wife with the other players he's scouting and if you can just hit a couple of those kinds of beats like you did at the beginning with the crazy shit that happened to you right or how does that kid get him into trouble if you could just hit a couple of those beats you don't have to lay out all the structure but that will let me know the structure is there can can i throw in two cents i don't know how much time that we hit it
3: jerry hit it real quick i'm hoping that jd will put me on the tampa bay race that's my secret no um um I think that the the, 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 the the entity that you're pitching to will want to know, is each episode going to be like sort of self-contained about a different prospect every episode? Or are you going to follow this young Dwight Gooden coke head all the way for all the episodes? Let them know that. And then uh, an, another another thought that I have that I think is a good thought, actually, is that his what Jake said, what is, what is his point of contention with management? He doesn't care only about the $30 million a year contract that Juan Soto got today. He cares about shaping the lives of these kids. I'm in their life. I'm in their living room. I'm talking to their mother or their wife or their girlfriend. It's not all about um, um, money, 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 putting asses in the seats. I'm shaping their characters. I'm I'm getting this guy off drugs. I'm not going to tell management that he's on drugs, but that he, he has a uh, investment in these young guys as people and their girlfriends. You got, you're you gonna need some women in there, I think. You're gonna need some female, um, um, seriously, some female story. So he cares about the young players and their girlfriends and their mothers. And um, 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 and that's his uh, uh, raison d'etre. That, that's why we like it. That, that's just a thought off the top of my head, but that
0: uh, I think would add dimension. Jerry, that's, that's awesome. this is one of the things I love about my team. You see the man can't freaking help himself, right? Um we uh I love that my faculty loves our students this much, right? And, and I secretly just, just want to be in a major leagues. So and like, that's that's definitely true. That's not a lie. I know that's true. Okay, awesome. Let's give JD a round of applause and we'll get the wheel ready for the next spin. Are we ready? Yep. So let's spin the old wheel.
7: Fred Massig. Hi, just to let you know, my last name is actually Mazique like the word Mazik.
0: All right, let's get the clock up and Fred will start pitching.
7: Let's do it. My name is Fred Mazique. I'm a recent widower of a 20-year intergenerational relationship. My husband's name was George. Um, when we met, I was 21 and he was 70.
6: Whoa! wow. So I got
7: a question for you. If pain were a puzzle, what's puzzling you? The name of my title is called Pain Reliever. And it follows the main character. His name is Madison. And he has the ability to take people's pain away. He's not going to cure them. You know, if the person has cancer or what have you, he's not going to cure them. But he'll at least give them a period of pain-free at some point. He can't control how long it lasts. Maybe an hour, maybe a day, maybe until the person dies. His primary choice for clients are people who are either terminally ill or very sick kids. His best friend, her name is Kennedy. Kennedy is a theater major, specifically doing special effects and makeup. And to help him along the way, she will produce masks or makeup so that no one really knows what he looks like. Because the fear is is that if someone finds out who he is and he has this ability, they're going to become addicted and want to use him for every single pain and ache they may have. And it does not work that way. Medicine is also being helped by his god by his grandfather. His grandfather had the same ability, except he decided to not use it. Um, and so he's living vicariously through his grandson who had the same ability. So, how does all this work? That's why I asked you if pain were a puzzle, what's puzzling you? On each episode, for each client, they get a separate puzzle. It could be something intricate as a 50-piece puzzle, it can be something as simple as connect the dots, but the puzzles are always going to be tailored around the person who is the client for that week. Each week is a different puzzle. Puzzles don't repeat. In the pilot, the puzzle that I used was a connect the dots puzzle in which Madison and his childhood friend, they both get hurt in an accident, which is when he first learns the ability. When he gets a little older, his grandfather shows him how to use the ability You know, tools of the trade. The final part of the pilot, Kennedy is actually raped. He accidentally uses his power on Kennedy. Her puzzle is a labyrinth, and the labyrinth is going to be one of the main puzzles of the first season. Something's chasing her, someone's chasing him. Who's the rapist? So, again, if Pam were a puzzle, what's puzzling you? Thank you.
0: Let's give him a round of applause. All right, Stephen.
4: Okay. Well, Fred, really, really good to meet you. And uh, that was a fascinating and super original pitch. I actually really love the concept. Uh, the concept is very unique and it does not sound like any TV show that I've seen necessarily, which is a really good thing. Um, I'm totally intrigued by the whole setup and also your personal story that you shared with us at the beginning there about recently being a widower and I'm so sorry for your loss um, coming out of the what you described as the uh, the intergenerational relationship, which is also such a unique life experience, which is really fascinating for a storyteller to be able to draw on something like that that you know very few people can speak to. So I think that's, first of all, it's really intriguing, like that makes me lean in because I'm interested. And then second of all, it's also obviously deeply emotional and it makes me think that the story is gonna be a passion project for you. So that makes me lean in even further. So on a couple levels, you, like, you really got me with the intro. Um now I like the way that you kept coming back to your um kind of like your your tagline if uh, if pain was a puzzle what's puzzling you you know you got that to really kind of lodge into my mind by like the repetition and kind of hitting that like a chorus over and over again I thought that was really smart I thought that set a really nice rhythm and a nice pace to kind of like chop the the pitch up into little chapters so I thought that worked super well um when you got into the details of it I actually really wanted some more specifics about exactly how the episodes would work. Now, the first thing I wanted more specifics on was the tone of the kind of uh, healing we're talking about here. Because like, you start talking about this, in my mind, I'm thinking like, all right, this is like a show about faith healing. It's a show about somebody who has either superpowers in like some kind of a mutant way, or maybe kind of a supernatural, sort of like a- ancient kind of shamanic sort of way. But I'm in my mind, I'm kind of struggling to place the tone. So that's where like a this meets that, like we were saying earlier, could come in really, really handy, Fred, if you could just point to another TV show or two that's kind of in the right vibe, you know? Like, are we closer to the X-Files or are we closer to, you know, ER? Like, are we somewhere in the middle? or are there other shows we could reference? I kind of want to get a sense for just the general ballpark because on the bright side, the show sounds super unique to me, but because it's so unique, it's hard for me to imagine the tone, right? So I I feel like I really do need some comparables here. And then I know the music's music's playing me off here in a second, but the last thing I want to say quickly is when you mentioned the puzzles, like you mentioned things like a labyrinth or connect four or this or that. Now, again, you had me intrigued, but I wasn't sure like, in what way those metaphors were manifesting in the show, right? So I'm not sure when when Kennedy's dealing with a labyrinth and she's raped and all this is going on, I'm interested, but I don't totally get what's happening to her. So I feel like a little bit more detail about the pilot, a little more detail about the tone and some of the metaphors would be helpful. But I mean, overall, like I'm, I'm super interested. And if you walked in and pitched me what you just did, and I was an executive, I would just, I would have a whole lot of questions and I'd want to hear the more in detailed version. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that's a super, super unique pitch. I think it was presented really well. And I think it's exactly the kind of pitch that I would love to work with you on or work with any writer on to kind of craft it and develop it. Cause right now I feel like you're like, 60 percent 65 percent there but like that last 30 35 percent i think this could be just a dynamite pitch and i think right now it's i think it's really solid and i love the idea so great great job fred
7: may i give you my comp uh, yeah for
4: I... sure please yeah,
0: real quick
7: green mountain I...
4: still... green mountain Mount
7: moves... the, the
4: Mount oh okay okay i like that i like that the only thing i would say is um if it's a TV show, it would be great to throw a, a TV comp in there, um, as well, you know, along with those two, but that's, that's helpful though. That definitely helps me because green miles, a certain tone, Shining's a certain tone and that that's very helpful. That puts me in the right ballpark at least, but it would be great, you know, to put it in a TV space a little more. Um, but yeah, you know, great. I'm going
0: to cut you off so I could jump Go in. Cause I want, I want to get as it. many pitches as we can. Yeah. Um, Brett, you've got a fantastic premise here, right? Um, Oddly, the part that I connected to most was not the puzzle. I connected to the most of the idea of you can take away somebody's pain. And I made an assumption, but, you know, you start off by kind of giving us this pitch, you know, about your recent loss, right? And, And I heard it kind of implied in there like this wish, right? This wish of like, if someone could take this pain from me, And I think you can give voice to that wish in your pitch because it's a, a wish that everyone has felt. If someone could just take this pain from me. And then here's this character who has this gift that's passed through his family that his family does not use. That is so fascinating, right? And there's a reason. But the kid doesn't understand it. And there's this relationship that even though it's a different relationship than yours, it's also between a much older person and a much younger person with different points of view, with real love. And something happens and it makes the person use this gift, right? And I think if you could see when I pitch it like that, the structure of it starts to become really clear when I start to piece away some of the other elements. And then what I'm looking for is like, what goes right? What are the kinds of things that go right? And what are the kinds of things that go wrong? How is grandpa correct? And how is grandpa wrong? And what are the beautiful and terrible things that happen when people's pain can be removed? Because I think that's the wish that's underneath all of this. That's that's the emotional core of this. So if this was my pitch, I would land that piece first. And then I would layer the puzzle stuff on top. And I would really think about how am I gonna land? How am I gonna make that puzzle stuff so clear? The tone of it's clear, the idea of it's awesome, but how does that connect to the actual problem of the character moving through the story? Uh that said, another beautiful pitch. Thank you, Fred. Uh let's give it another round of applause.
1: Happy holidays, we'll everybody. Yeah, great.
0: Yeah, yeah great stuff, Fred. Helen Gleason, cloud nine. All right. Hello, Helen. Hello. We're going to throw up the timer so you can start pitching.
8: All right. I'm Helen Gleason. I'm coming to you tonight from Boulder, Colorado. Synchronicity. It's kind of been the center of my life. Uh, People show up different times, different places, Sometimes it's just shocking how they're there when you need them. And so, my feature film, Cloud Nine, is a rom-com, a buddy movie, a coming of age. It's for septuagenarians like myself. They get together in a retreat center, and they relive their 1988 friendships. At that time, Hope was a salesperson who trained and trained people in things like accessing their intuitive selves. And then I can't believe I'm okay. So the soulmates from Jess Stern's book turn Hope into this idea that Frank is her soulmate. He's just been named the most eligible bachelor of 1988 and he's just bought the building next door. But this is a rom-com and Hope goes to jail. When she get, while in jail, she saves her soul. She, sat, she studies A Course in Miracles. She meets Carmelite monks and lives with them for the next 20 years. And now she's a pot smoking ex nun and she's meeting with her friends at this take retreat. Take a breath, center. Ellen. You got it. And so they take part in yoga. They look back on treasure maps of what they thought would be their new lives, and they reflect. The pandemic has brought different challenges to each of these seventy-year-olds. One lost their mate. One couple was ousted from their house because their kids were unhappy with their choice to not get the jab. So the group processes their pain, works with each other, and has a good time understanding that forgiveness and sharing with each other is really the center of what they want in their life. Frank. The soulmate shows up because he sees about the uh, retreat on YouTube. And so the whole group works with them on whether or not they will fulfill her dream that she would be reunited with her soulmate.
0: All right. Give her a round of applause. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) It's a feature film?
8: It's a feature film, and it's more like The Big Chill then the book
3: club. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Okay. A lot to get our arms around. First of all, I'm not clear and you need to be, and you'll need to make us clear on what brings them all together. When you said the big chill at the end, that was, I believe a reunion. A thought that I had is maybe these uh, septuagenarians are disgusted with their own children <laughs> and their own well, lives.
8: And that they say much
3: of
5: that, that, much they, of that they, is going
8: they, on, but they come together at a re- the the head guy throws a retreat. They move from like being salespeople to being spiritual people. And so he's now having a retreat center and he gathers these people back together.
3: And they are all very willing to do this or are they? Oh uh, yeah,
8: no, they're they're all joining together. Everybody's tired of being home and they want to come out after the pandemic and reconnect. So it's everybody is there on their own volition.
3: Every knucklehead is going to give you a different idea. But as you were telling it, I was looking for more of a reason for them to be together. Sometimes negative emotions are, good, are strong, too, that they, like I said, are fed up with their children. So they say, why do we have to be stuck with the families that we have? Let's make our own family. And so one by one, your central character says... I got a big house, let's be a family. And then there they discover, and I wasn't clear on the 1988 pot smoking ex-nun, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't clear if these are flashbacks or they're talking about it or what um,
8: I've looked at the big chill and they had an earlier the first act took took place in the uh at Michigan State. This first act takes place in 1988 and these people are all together in 1988, and then time passes, and they come back together in 2023.
3: Well, then then you are gonna to wanna to make a little chart, and you're gonna to wanna to say who they were in 88, I guess, and yeah. now who they are in 23. And some of them have changed subtl- subtly, some of them have changed radically. Dramatically. And, and, and then you're gonna decide which, or maybe more than one couple, are gonna rom-com together, you know? Which ones are going to connect? It it almost requires like a a map, you you know, like like where are you starting from? And then what are you writing to? Who were they in 88? Who are they now? And then map out that journey, maybe on a wall, maybe with a little colored thread from here here to here to here to here so that you know who
0: transformed in what way? Awesome, thank you, Jeff. Terrific,
8: thank you so uh, much.
0: First off, your pitch started so strong. Your pitch started so strong, right? You you started by talking about the synchronicity in your life, and you gave me a kind of theme to understand why the why of this, right? That this is going to be a a movie about synchronicity, that we are going to find. These people who get to relive their past together, Uh, a past that they've lost, that maybe some of them should have lost, some of them should not have lost. We talked in the previous pitch about the idea of like there being a, a hidden wish underneath it and like that, that hidden wish of like, if you could just relive your past, if you didn't have to let go just because the years came, there's something, there's something really beautiful about that. And then I saw you get flustered and rush. And so the (laughs) biggest, that's the biggest piece of advice I want to actually give you. Jerry's taking care of the structure stuff. I want to give you the advice, trust yourself. When you get nervous pitching, that's when you take a breath. That's not when you push forward. You get nervous, take a breath. You're not always going to be able to get all your elements into your pitch, but we don't need all the elements. We need the elements you give us to land. This is a great learning experience for you. Okay. And I saw you then, you caught up with it again. You were like, okay, I started to introduce things too fast. And I saw you go, oh. So I, the, big piece, the big note for you, Helen, is just take your time. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Let's put up the voting. Thank you, Helen. Uh, And yeah, Megan, you're right. The timer makes it hard. So does being in a room with someone who can help you. Get used to it. Get used to being nervous and fumbling. And when you get nervous and fumbling in a script, you stop and you take a breath and you go, I don't think everything I just said was clear. Let's go back. You can always fix no matter what mistake you make. And if you get three quarters of a great pitch out, that's better than getting 100% of a bad pitch. One is lowest, guys. Five is highest. So you're ranking on a scale of one to five. One is lowest, five is highest. Okay, great. Then Ready? let's get Christian back up here and let's spin the old wheel.
7: Renee Shored, perfect fade.
0: Renee. Welcome. Let's get her timer up so she can start pitching.
9: Okay. I'm Renee Short. I am a writer. I do poetry, uh, children's stories, graphic novels, and now into screenplay writing. I try to write beautiful cinematic stories about marginal people because I want to show how they can shine. My script is about, um, well, it's titled Perfect Faith, and it's about a marginalized girl who decides she wants to go on a vacation that she can't convince her family to go on. She's more outdoorsy, so she wants to go see the 10 highest flying birds in the world, and she can't convince her girly girl fashionista sister, and absent mother, or her people-pleasing dad to change their upcoming uh, vacation idea to accommodate her. And since this has been a constant battle she's had, she decides to take things into her own hands. And she says, I'm gonna go see them on my own. So she packs herself up and she takes off. So obviously all the traditional things happen, the police are called and they get involved in all of that. But the people pleasing dad decides, I have her list. So I'm gonna go and uh, find her myself. So he convinces the wife and the older sister that they must come and they take off. Now, what makes this an intriguing story is the fact that Logical Dad starts at the top of the list. They head to Europe. Angela, the main character, because she's more outdoorsy and rustic, she starts closer to home and she goes to South America. So the adventure begins. So my tagline is, one dream, one teen, and one adventure, because they all are on an adventure, even though the main character is on a major adventure in order to achieve her goal, which is to be understood, to be recognized by the family, but also to achieve her goal of seeing these 10 high flying birds. And she deals with being alone, being isolated on this journey because she would really rather do it with her family but they're not having it. So that's the basic idea, and that's the intrigue that gets involved. There's a lot of soul-searching on many levels, but that's the basic idea of the story. Is it a feature? It's a feature, family feature. yeah. And it could 100%. be animated because it does take you to multiple countries in the world to go see all of these. So I've taken a consideration that it could be an animated film as well.
0: Got it. All right, let's awesome. give her a
9: round of applause.
2: Thank you. Wow, Wow. Renee, thank you for sharing. I was so drawn in by the idea of Angela's goal of seeing the 10, I'm gonna make sure I get this right, the 10 most high flying birds.
9: Highest flying birds in the world. Highest flying birds
2: in the world. You know, one of the things I'm always looking for is how is this story, any story, different from something we've seen before? And as soon as you said that, I was like, I've never seen this before. And so right off, (laughs) right out of the gate, you drew me into that. I love the sense of this protagonist who's been marginalized. But, you know, like I get the sense that maybe, you know, the kind of societal definition of marginalization, but also from her family, right? And so that thematic idea, it feels like that you're making sure that it permeates the entire story, right? Which is, you know, as we start thinking about things like theme, we're going to, I'm going to do this really quickly. Everything needs to be a reflection of theme. And it feels like that you're headed down that track. So I love that. One of the things I didn't understand, and I think there's opportunity here, is why are these birds so important Or I know that she's outdoorsy, but I wanted to get more definition on why these birds. I get the idea probably that it's a metaphoric idea that they're high flying, and that's gonna be a metaphor for her own life. But tied to that is also, what's at stake? What if she doesn't get this done? What does she have to gain or lose by doing that? The one thing I did find myself attracted to in terms of, yeah, the premise, but also the character. And I would have loved just a little bit more detail on Angela. At a certain point, it kind of became, oh, the traditional da 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 da, da. We don't want no No traditional, right? We want to know what your version of the story is, right? And I know you've got a version of the story that is probably unlike any that we've ever seen. So really nice job um really really great and and i would love
0: to see this movie so <laughs> yeah uh christian you ended on two minutes it's amazing <laughs> okay
2: jerry take note
0: uh, <laughs> 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 sorry guys i'm still fighting this cold um so i uh i really loved the way this pitch started right i loved um the way you introduced yourself as a writer the way you spoke about your mission as a writer, telling cinematic stories about marginal people because you want them to soar. I think that that's really great. When you told me about the main character that she was marginalized, I I wanted a deeper understanding of that before we launched into her want. I think that's super, super important because her want at first feels, it ends up being much higher stakes, but it feels low stakes, right? She wants to go on a specific vacation. And so we, we need to understand like, what's broken in her life that this is, that this is the, the answer to. I love that she runs off to do it herself. And I also love that her family runs off to go find her, but runs the wrong direction. I think that's a really interesting choice. It's also an extremely challenging choice structurally. And, and the reason it's, struct- it's challenging is we know that this is ultimately the story of a broken family. Right, that needs to heal. The challenge is they can't actually heal together because she is in one location while they're she they're in the other. So the question is, how do you create that feeling of healing, even as these characters are traveling in wrong directions? At what point do they overlap again? Do they ever overlap again? What does that look like? I would start to think about how does that structure work in the piece? You had a good extra 30 seconds, maybe 40 seconds. So if you have time to get into that structure, two other things. Number one, um, I'm going to run late. Number one, I asked you if it was a feature because it sounds like a series. In other words, each episode takes place in a different place of 10 birds. It it screams for like a 10 episode limited series. Although it might not be big enough to be one, Uh, but that's why I was curious. So I think it's important that we kind of understand what that, what that feature film shape is between all of them. And then the last piece, don't just throw in. It could be animated Um, because what that does is it makes you feel wishy-washy really make the choice because if this is live action, this is completely different than if it's animated, if it's animated, she could spread her wings and fly. Right. Um, if it's if it's live action, she could, but that's a different feeling where it's not such a big deal to have magic in 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 animated films, right? In an animated film, you can get performances out of a bird. In a live action film, you really, you really can't. I would really think about not what should it be, not what could it be, what do you want it to be? Like what what is it in your heart and, and pitch it that way? Awesome. Thank you so much, Renee. Let's get the voting up. Let's give her another round of applause. Thank you, Renee. That was really good. Awesome. You ready for the spin? Yep. Sean Sean. Meager, EcoQuest. Hey, good evening. How are you? (laughs) Don't ask me. uh, Let's reset his clock
10: because he's got three minutes
0: to go. (laughs)
10: uh hi, good evening i actually am a captain um the and the show i'd like to pitch is called echo quest now you're wondering what that is i i spent my whole life at sea and i've been fortunate enough to see some of the most beautiful places on the planet from the north pole to the south pacific and everywhere in between and what i've seen is a disturbing trend over the um over the 30 years that i've spent there i've seen reefs that i dove in 2016 um that i re-dove in um recently that are are dead i found plastic in places on the planet that you, where we shouldn't be finding it up at the north pole uh i've seen glaciers melt all the um all the horror stories that you hear about the environment i've really seen but and the on the flip side of things i've also seen um places that have come back i've seen a lot of hope in the world and i see a lot of people that really really want to make a change and what this show is it's a non-scripted show about a vessel that's going to be traveling from the north pole to the south pole and visiting environmental hotspots in between and on board that boat we're going to be having celebrities uh, a professional crew think about below deck but they're not train wrecks um and uh and we'll be visiting these hot spots and looking at them, not through eyes of, oh, you know, everything's gloom and doom. But what can we do to improve the planet that we live on? It? And my hope is that by visiting these places and by seeing that there are things that we can do, the audience will be forever changed. The people that on board the boat will be changed. And that's the journey of the uh of the characters on board it's going to be about between eight and ten episodes that's how long it can take i mean obviously we could do a lot more but i think that's the that's the right fit for it and you'll follow this crew and these different different types of guests that we'll have on from each on each episode and you'll watch the transformation that takes place because they're going to go to a place and maybe they'll see a dead polar bear but then they'll also go to places where you'll see polar bears thriving and then we'll look at look at the reasons of why um, of why exactly that is. And my hope is at the end of the show, people will come away with a better understanding of the planet and they'll come away with a better appreciation for the planet that we live on. And I just so happen to have a boat that's doing this cruise. Um, we're going to be starting in the North Pole this summer and ending in Antarctica. So it's the perfect opportunity I have the platform. It's ready to go. And it's the perfect opportunity to really make a difference in this world.
0: Beautiful. Let's give him a round of applause. Steven.
4: All right. Well, um, El, Cap- El Capitano, <laughs> um, if I may call you that, uh, Absolutely. or, Sean, feel or free. Sean, whatever you prefer. Sean, Sean, Sean. All right, Sean, it is. Okay. Um, so uh echo quest i uh i really loved how you started with your uh, your personal connection to the material there sean that definitely uh got me intrigued immediately the fact that you're a real life captain you've had these real experiences going all around the world that got me thinking about this as, uh, you know, a story that's going to have a certain degree of verisimilitude to it and authenticity and all that's huge. That's really important. Um, I was not clear immediately that it was a reality show you were pitching. And so I would make that more just crystalline at the outset. Just say, look, I'm I'm pitching a show that's going to be a reality show in the spirit of, you know, again, some kind of comparable this meets that, you know, uh, I don't know what a reality show would be that, you know, it's the greatest catch meets, uh, you know... Oh. Below Deck meets Blue Planet. There you go. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So I would love to hear something like that right at the outset. That would kind of put me in the right state of mind to receive the rest of the pitch. I really loved what you were saying in terms of the message of the story and what you were ultimately going to be saying thematically and what the undergirding of the story was. But I did find myself kind of desperately yearning to hear more about the characters. And you kept mentioning the celebrities and the crew that are going to be on board. But I really wanted to hear some specifics. And I think it's hard to get really engaged with the pitch unless we have a sense for who the captain's going to be, who the crew is going to be, and exactly. Exactly what their journey is. If you told me there was a, for example, a broken down alcoholic uh, guy who got his life back together and he had now become the You're captain. You're looking at him. Okay, great. Perfect. See, <laughs> I would lead with that. I would lead with that. You know, my life used to be a wreck. My life was a disaster. I was, you know, I was the equivalent of a coral reef that everyone had abandoned and polluted, but somehow I survived. I picked myself up and blah, blah, blah. If you could integrate your personal story and with more vulnerability into the pitch. I think we could mm. we could grasp onto some more humanity cuz right now it sounds like a good the show sounds like a good deed. Like yeah, this would be a good thing to do for the world, but it's so general, it's hard to care. But if you ground it in a person, like some kind of personal story at the heart of it and then you build everything else out in concentric circles around that, I think you'll be in much better shape. You just need a character or a few characters at the heart of it. Then I think you got a great show to pitch and a great message to sell. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you.
0: All right. I'm going to jump in real quick. Um, So I loved you starting. Well, actually, I loved like just you as a presence, right? Because I could feel your passion. This is a guy who wants to change the world. And one of the things I thought was really great was you're going, I do this. The answers are already here. There are already ways we can help. And I want to show people so that they can see it. That's amazing. That's really great. The why of this show is so well-developed. It's only the what that that needs pressure. And it's hard when you're pitching a documentary series, for pitching reality and you haven't shot it yet. Well,
10: I actually, we, the, if you go, if you, on YouTube, if you want to go watch the highest latitude, it's on the Worth Avenue YouTube shot. That's a 20 minute film that I've done, which we've had over, right. we've had a couple hundred thousand views on that, which is really like a short version of what I'm talking about.
0: Right. So that's wow. wonderful. So you, you want to include that in your pitch, right? Uh, probably towards the end, we have a 20 minute proof concept right? That's had hundreds of thousands of views, right? Um, So that people know it's all about structure. And even when you don't know what's gonna happen over the whole 10 episodes or eight episodes, you've got to show the producers what kinds of things could happen. And just like Steven was talking about at the very beginning when we did our, our, our big round table, right now you're making us think, you're making us go, this is wrong. I want to jump on board with this. I want to help with this. Yeah, this is, but you're not making us feel yet. And the feeling comes from a combination of two things. And it comes from, Sean is a guy who wants this, but this happens that makes it so freaking hard. And now... Sean starts to make all these choices that are getting in the way of what he wants. Meanwhile, let's talk about the first mate, right? And how that puts pressure on Sean. An interesting place for you potentially, we have a class called Write Your TV Series starting up uh, in the new year, where we can teach you engine. And I think when you learn engine, it's gonna be really helpful for you to focus not only this pitch, but also the structure of the series as you build it. Thank you, Sean my uh, pleasure yeah Thanks, yeehaw. let's give him another round of applause thank you steve for all your wisdom and advice um and we know it's going to be marco aguilar on deck hello marco Hello.
11: all right Guazabada. that is the indigenous puerto rican word that means warrior it is the battle cry of the taino people who fought against the spanish colonizers a long time ago and up until a few years ago I never even knew what that word meant, which is strange because I grew up in New York City, which has a rich history of Puerto Rican culture, migration, and activism. My name is Marco Aguilar, and I'm here to pitch Kung Fu Puerto Rican, the first Puerto Rican martial arts film. Our story begins with Ronaldo, a Hispanic man who just turned 40 years old, who is was about to lose his dojo left by his master, Sifu Carlos. To make matters worse, He owes a lot of money to people in his attempts to keep the dojo open. One day, he gets a phone call randomly, and he finds out that he has a grandmother that he never even knew existed, who has dementia. And the only clues he he has to her past is a bunch of items she carries with her. A fighting stick, a Puerto Rican bandana, and a beret with the letters F-A-L-N. Fuerza Amadas de Liberación Nacional, which is a terrorist group that fought for the liberation of Puerto Rico many years ago. A group that also stole millions of dollars worth of diamonds that were never recovered. Now, Ronaldo tries to learn more about this mysterious woman who may hold the key to getting himself out of this mess that he's in. But along the way, he'll learn about his past, his culture, and maybe find a new purpose. Kung Fu Puerto Rican, the very first Puerto Rican martial arts film. It's The Last Dragon meets The Raid, and John Wick with a little bit of Spanish soap opera thrown in for the mix. This is a very uh, personal story for me. Um, I'm half Puerto Rican. I'm also a martial artist and a filmmaker. And I also had a mom who recently passed away uh, who had dementia for 15 years, and this is a tribute to her. And uh, as I mentioned before, I never once really cared much about my culture, much like the character in the story. I never even gave it much thought until recently. But that word, guazabada, just somehow I heard about that word and it just sparked a a, a passion in me to learn more about my culture. And because I am a genre filmmaker, because I do sci-fi, horror, martial arts, and action, this is the type of film I want to make. And this is the type of film I think will open uh, many people's eyes to my culture, to my history, because we are forgotten people. And this is... uh, this is the very this is going to be a, a very personal and very meaningful story for me and for a lot of people around the world and for anyone who is ever who is part of a culture that's ever been colonized so thank you
0: awesome let's give him a round of applause all right jerry well it's clear that you care
3: and it's clear that you know this subject we, i was talking before about what's personal is universal and this is certainly personal but a couple of times you said that the um um whatever the lost treasure was was many years ago maybe i'm nitpicking i think we have to know how many years ago and get more specific about that i'm not quite sure how it was it his 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 grandmother or his mother that was the the possible uh, uh, uh lady gangster. huh grandmother but
11: grandmother that's, yeah.
3: that's interesting especially if grandma knows kung fu does she does okay that's interesting a fighting grandma fighting puerto rican grandma i want to see that but um like do you know so you're talking about this a feature this is not a series correct that's
11: a feature yes
3: so do you know what your ending is again not everybody's going to agree with me but do you know how you want to end because because i would work backwards from he's going to prevail over and i didn't hear the fighting scenes I think you got to tell us when he's going to kick ass, you know, uh, better yet, when she's going to kick ass. And I think, you know, maybe this reveals my own Freudian, but if the mom, if the grandma saves the tough grandson, that would be interesting. Um, 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 You know, I don't want to mess with whatever your thoughts that you have already, but the grandma saving the... Tough, A uh, Puerto Rican grandson would be interesting to me. Like you said, he's discovering his culture. Tell us why he didn't know until now. And then what opens his eyes. And then how his opened eyes get him fired up to like, I got to do something. And then what that specific doing something is. And who it gets him in trouble with. And how dangerous they are. And who saves who actually i say grandma should save him it's still good if he saves her but you know what i mean uh, uh, uh how he gets introduced what he does about it and then how does it end uh it's going to be a happy ending i presume yeah yes and and then the other thing we were talking earlier about practice 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 it it was pretty clear you were reading you don't want to do that you want to like it, you, especially when it's something so personal, don't have any notes. Just have this flowing out of you, like like it's in me, and I gotta get it out. Yeah,
11: um, I, didn't know, I didn't know I was gonna be here today, so
3: I kind of just to away. Hey, no, no, wait. no, no. I get that. This is not a professional thing. I'm just saying okay. for when you get in front of somebody. Is France? Is Francisco Lindor somebody that is honored in your home? I'm sorry. Francisco Lindor is he honored in your home? No. You know who he is. He's the greatest. I know no offense, but he's the greatest Puerto Rican there is right now. He's the starting shortstop on the Mets.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, awesome. I'm going to jump in. Um, Wazabada is an awesome way to start. By the way, I know Marco well, and I know you. I know you well. I'm a huge fan of your writing, and I know the action is going to be badass. <gasps> One of the things I've always loved about your writing, and I hear it again in this pitch, is the way you use really intense genre to tell very personal stories that you otherwise couldn't get away with. At the core of this, there's a story about a kid and his relationship with his grandma, who he doesn't know, who he's seen in one way, and actually is somebody else, right? And is a story of uh, a kid who is isolated from his own culture, who learns who the hell he is from the grandma that he suddenly got shouldered with. That's a beautiful story. Where I want you to push this pitch is I want you to inject it with steroids. So... What's missing in this pitch is actually the genre elements that you're so good at. And this is also really important. Whenever you're pitching, you want to know who you're pitching and how you're going to pitch them. If you're pitching a director who's already attached to this project, talking about the deep emotional meaning of it makes a shitload of sense. But if you're pitching a producer who's never heard the concept before, yeah, you give them that flavor. But I want to know, there's a freaking terrorist flag in grandma's house. That's cool. I want to know what happens when those dudes show up. I want to know what is the force that he is fighting that he doesn't understand. And what is his journey in relation to this? And how does this become John Wick? How does this become those comparables that you gave us? And if you give a 70% genre and then 30% of your deep soul passion, we're going to have we're going to have a a, a script that's going to sell. It's not that you can't do the Sundance version of this, but it's, I know, Marco, there's no way you're going to do the Sundance version of this, right? And so lean into that genre that you're already passionate about. Awesome. Thank thank you you so much. Let's give him another round of applause. Let's spin it. Kenny All right, the Reverend Kenny Kozlowski, Grandpa's Cursed Pipe. Let's get his timer up, Then Kenny, you can start when you
5: want. All right, how are you doing? I am the Reverend Kenny. I'm an independent filmmaker living in the far, far, far suburbs of Chicago in Michigan City, Indiana, and I'm making uh, some short films, more of a proof of concept, and it's a uh, horror comedy. Uh, I'm based quite a bit of an art collector, and one of my uh, one of my paintings was uh, this old German painting about 1880 of a young boy smoking a pipe and it just fascinated me and I just was fascinated with the story of this young boy and this this big giant pipe and you know why somebody bothered to make an oil painting and it just got me going in in a horror uh, theme that uh, it was his grandfather in Germany and there was a cursed pipe that the grandfather had. During the painting of the portrait, the Satan-worshipping artists get together with the painter, and they want to steal this boy's soul. And uh, the grandfather, at the last minute, breaks in looking for his grandson and finds out that he's already been absorbed into the painting. So he gets into a fight with the artist, ends up uh, killing him, and there's uh, some blood splattered on the painting. And uh, it turns out that the young boy... Uh, now comes back to life, and I've made up my little. This is my little, my little young boy with his little knife, and uh, he's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna come out of the painting, and uh, he's uh, going to a- actually kill the grandfather, and then gets absorbed back in the painting. Uh, the The painting travels through time, ends up uh, in a, a rich person's house in Andorra, uh, Europe, and uh, a princess is talking about her late husband. Uh, and she ends up accidentally cutting her finger, splashing a little blood on the painting, and sure enough, that uh, ignites the young, the young devil boy to come back out, and he ends up uh, killing her uh, in a, in a kind of a gruesome way, uh, a little bit bloody. And then uh, the again, the painting is lost through time, ends up in a thrift store, and uh, a guy named uh, Buzz Dolinsky, which would be played by me. Uh, at least in the in my film uh and uh he finds it in a thrift store it, it takes it home uh and uh and uh, a, a pursue you know he likes the he likes the painting he's a painting collector uh and he ends up uh it, trying to date the uh receptionist at the thrift store and so there's a little love affair uh with the uh, the young uh, young betty and uh and then uh at, at the end uh, the ca- my cat uh, mr jaja uh scratches uh her, scratches Betty. And, and, and so some blood gets on the painting. The boy comes out. It looks like he stabs Betty in the hand. It looks like he's going to kill everyone. And at the last minute, Buzz takes his uh, tobacco pipe, hands him a bubble pipe. The boy <laughs> takes it, blows it, and then decides, oh, okay, maybe I don't have to kill you. And then is absorbed back into the painting and uh, love uh, ensues. Uh, God, we have the to end. cut
0: him off, uh, just to be fair. <laughs> just to be fair, we got to cut him off.
5: I didn't hear music. What happened to the music?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Something went wrong with the music. <laughs>
5: anyway, that's more than more than enough. So there it is. There's my grandpa's curse, bite. Kenny.
2: Kenny, wow, Reverend Kenny. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is so much that I absolutely love about the last three minutes that I'm not even sure where to start. Um, your presence is is. Uh, is like it fills the entire screen even in a zoom uh session i love the props i love your energy around this i'll be honest i don't even know if i'm totally sure what happens in this movie but i would watch it um and i want you to take that both as a compliment but also as a way to kind of like start to refine things right (laughs) You know, I'm not going to, you know, like, again, your presence, all that stuff works really well, right? And um, you sell this movie. You sell this movie. What I also want is the story to seduce me. And it, it, it starts to, but I start to, what ends up happening is, you know, we talked about earlier, like, um, once our pitches start to get built around information, it's hard for me to kind of follow what's going
5: on. And and I I took me a little while. So Buzz is the protagonist? Uh, yeah, the current, uh, 20, okay. uh 20, 23, okay. I guess he would be the, the main guy. And then I guess it goes into the other stories as they. Uh, okay. So you can
2: hear just by my question, right? This is just data for you that I was like, I was a little confused who the protagonist was and who i was supposed to be rooting for. Because at first I was rooting for the kid. I was like, Oh, this poor <laughs> right. kid. Right? <laughs> right. And then I was like, Oh, wait a minute. He's killing people. I was like, what? <laughs> um, so, um, you know, like if, if I could throw one thing at you, it's like, think about, your pitch um, is going to be a reflection of the structure of the movie itself, right? And so, if your film is structured in such a way that Buzz doesn't show up as the protagonist until you know halfway through, whatever it is, then as a as a buyer or as a producer, I'm going to be like, "Oh, wait a minute, right? Now you may actually structure it differently than that, right? In the actual script or what you're thinking about." So, uh, you know, like just to sum up, you sell this thing. Um, and, and I just wanted a better sense of structure and protagonist and, and tracking that journey with the protagonist. So, cool.
5: Thank you. Yeah, really that nice makes us, that, that does, And Actually, the story does start with me finding the picture, and then it goes kind of into its own history. But, yeah, I didn't really say that. But it, as soon as you said it, I was like, I should have mentioned. <laughs> that's, how it, started, that's how I started. And then it goes into the – but that's great. That's great. That's great information. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Let's 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 awesome. cue up Jake here.
0: All right. I'm going to jump in. Uh, as soon as they can stop the music. There we go. All right. So um, I know something that Christian doesn't, which is I know that because I've heard this pitch before. So I know it's a short. And right. as soon as you know it's a short, a bunch of rules are going to change because it just doesn't need as much infrastructure to survive. This is really all about that gag, right? It's all about landing the joke with the bubble pipe. Now, if you want, so so I'm going to first teach you how to hit land the short, and then I'm going to pitch you a version that could be a feature. Yeah if we just want to lend the short, it's all about the freaking pipe. So you got to establish the pipe at the beginning. Right, you right. got to establish that, you know, like murders her, you know, smokes that pipe. And we see it right. Like we need to know the pipe because that's it's true. really just the gad. It's knock, knock. Who's their pipe? Knock, knock. Who's there? pipe? Knock, knock. Who's their bubble oh, pipe? Boy. Right. <laughs> that's the, ju- that's, that's all it is. <laughs> It, in campy B horror style, right. and right. yes, your energy is a two-edged sword. Right, <laughs> uh, on the one hand, it makes us fall in love with you, and on the other hand, it makes it harder to 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 track the pitch. So, really getting tough with yourself about like, what are the elements I'm sharing? What are the elements I'm letting sit? I got to land this one thing. Everything else is negotiable, but that one thing is not. So. Put the pitch uh, together to lend that one thing.
5: That makes sense. I love it. Yeah.
0: Now I want to talk about, <laughs> there's a version of this movie that is a B-horror version of the Red Violin. Go rent the Red Violin. It's absolutely <laughs> freaking beautiful <laughs> movie. The Red Violin is about this this violin that passes through time. And And the way the Red Violin works is that in each time period... We meet a different person, there's a different drama going on, connected loosely by the violin, and then it passes on. And what's missing in your pitch from a structural perspective is because you don't really give a shit who these people are because you just want the blood in the pipe, right? But what ends up happening is we don't end up giving a shit who these people are and now who they are should be as fun and campy. It doesn't it shouldn't be serious. It should be a goof, but you want to drop us into these different kinds of relationships so that we can really enjoy it. And the last piece that I would give you to think about, if you're really going to go big feature is what's it about in the short film, it's a joke. I know it's a B movie. I know it's silly. I know it's goofy. I know it's bloody, but I would think about like, what does it actually mean? You're, you're reverent. What's the message to the Bible story that you're telling? And you can use that message to start to tie the kinds of relationships we're going to see together. So as goofy and silly as they are, there can actually be an underlying story there that that says something and that changes the the perception of your audience. Awesome. Thank you, Kenny. Um, We've made it to the end of part two of Pitch Festivus. Okay. So here's what's going to happen. We are going to send the incredible faculty members, Back to a secret room where they are going to plan together uh, who are going to win the two uh, grand prizes, the two uh, faculty choice prizes. My team, meanwhile, is going to tabulate all the votes to decide who's going to win the audience prize. While that's happening, um, I'm going to bring James Counts back and we're just going to talk a little bit about the program, our programs, and how they work. And then when this is uh, over this and uh, about 10 minutes, we're going to announce the winners and then we're going to drop everyone who chooses to stay into breakout rooms. You'll each be in a breakout room with a different mentor um, and you'll have uh, the rest of the event to ask questions or practice your pitch um, and uh, the mentor in each room will try to get to as many people as they possibly can. And at the point the mentors leave, we're going to leave the breakout room open for at least an hour so that you guys can also connect, practice your pitches with each other, make new friends and, and all that good stuff. So, Hey James. Hello. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Like I'm a brand new student. I just, Uh anything about Jacob Kruger studio and all the cool stuff coming up at the school. Where do I start? How do I figure
1: out where to start? So I would first ask, what are you writing? Do you have like a script that you're currently working on? Do you have ideas? What What are you digging into?
0: Yes. And so I'm so glad James answered the question that way. Um, people are always like, can I just see all your classes on our website? Right? And yes, you can. But that's not the way that we try to do it. Um, The the way that we try to do it is actually, you know, every writer needs something different. Everyone has a different goal. Everyone has a different need. At this point, you should already have a sense of whether we're the place for you. And, And quite frankly, this is how you should feel. You should be like, wow. And if you didn't feel like, wow, don't study with us. Go study with someone you feel like wow about. And maybe one of the mentors, you were like, wow. And another mentor, you're like, that person's not for me, right? You're looking for the person who like opens up your world. And so if you're, if you're, let's say you're working with a screenwriter, right? Let's say you're brand new to to screenwriting. Maybe you've written some other things. Maybe you played around with screenwriting. Maybe you've written a book or two and you want to write feature films. Maybe you're interested in some TV. Where would you start?
1: Generally, I think. You know, it's the same place that I started, which would be the write your screenplay class. I think that's definitely the core foundation for the whole studio. Half of the class is getting you out onto the page, and the other half is figuring out how you structure it to industry standard. I don't know if you remember this or not, Jake, but it was at the end of the fourth class. It's a four week class. You made us all say out loud that we were writers. And that was so terrifying for me. I had, I still kind of suffer from, um, imposter syndrome but that was kind of the journey not to get like super vulnerable and spiritual but yeah that was the journey and and so it really kind of set me up for everything to come
0: those of you don't know james james has uh written a bunch of short films and made them um that have won awards he was also the artistic director of one of the greatest uh theater companies to ever perform off broadway uh the immoralists um did their Google them Uh their, their work was just absolutely extraordinary. And like um, to, to have somebody uh, of that level of experience, right, who, who's who's come up through our program, who's there, who literally is going to talk to you for free. Right. And we don't do at the school. We don't do any hard sales. James isn't going to push you. There is no program like ours. There's nothing comparable Uh, that you can find anywhere. So if we're the right thing for you, you're going to do it. And and if we're not, then, then, then that's cool too. And so, you know, James is going to talk to you about your goals. He's going to talk to you about the obstacles you're facing. He's going to talk to you about your budget. And he's going to figure out the program that's right for you. But yeah, for a lot of people, for most of our students, start in our Write Your Screenplay class. So this is a four-week class. I teach it, and now Stephen Bagatorian is going to be teaching it at a West Coast time on Sundays um, starting in the new year. Um, So this class is the foundations of structure, right? And it works whether you're writing TV, whether you're writing features, whether you're writing plays. Even I've had a ton of novelists take it because it teaches you structure. It teaches you how to structure your life as a screenwriter. It teaches you how to break through your inner sensor. Um, If you've ever had writer's block uh, at the end of the first session, you will not have writer's block anymore. Um, And uh, that's a guarantee. And if you just do what the class tells you, you won't have writer's block anymore. You will also learn how to build seven-act structure so that you can build your script organically, find the structure of your character, find the meaning and the motion rather than the information. That class, my version, starts up next on January 30th, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time for four weeks. Steve Bagatorian's version starts up on January 14th, even earlier at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And that's Sunday's. Those classes include a free one-on-one consultation with a professional writer who's going to look at 10 pages of your writing and give you 45 minutes of feedback just for you. Somebody like Steven or Christian or Jerry, somebody that, like the level of uh, faculty member that you just met during Pitch Festivus. Uh, the class is 375 bucks. It's inexpensive. We don't leave people behind over cost though. So if, if you have a financial issue, if it's a real issue, We do payment plans. We figure it out. We don't leave students behind over money. Is that class right if you are experienced? Yes. I really try to start every writer in that class because, um, number one, it gives you a foundation. There's too much bullshit out there taught by people who are not writers. And so we want to build a common vocabulary for you that you probably have never heard before even if you've gone to ucla usc afi you probably have not heard this vocabulary before and it will probably change your life if you do so um and if the class is too unadvanced for you you let us know like with all our classes and we give you your money back right no matter what your level that is almost always the right place to start unless you're into television right (laughs) if you really want to write television if that's your focus then you want to start with our Write Your TV Series class. Write Your TV Series is a class about engine. What we do is we look at the greatest TV series ever written, comedies, dramas, dramedies. We learn the concepts of engine and how to apply that to your own original pilot and to a Bible that you write to go with your pilot. That class is really just for TV writers. If you're in features, you don't need that information. If you're in TV, you still need the Write Your Screenplay information. You still need structure, but you cannot do TV without engine. Um, So that class is the best place to start for most TV writers. It also includes a one-on-one consultation, just like the Write Your Screenplay class. Same price, also taught by me. And that class starts up on February 27th, um, 7 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesdays. So those are our foundation classes. Those are the primary places where, where we teach the fu- fundamentals upon which you're going to build everything else. And because they include the one-on-one, they also give you a chance to kind of trying out our mentorship program and seeing if that's right for you. Um, James, can you talk a little bit about the mentorship program and what that is?
1: Sure. So if folks come to me and they have um, a script or a body of scripts that really need kind of granular feedback, then, then we talk a bit more about... ProTrack, which is our one-on-one mentorship program. We also have workshops, which are essentially kind of the same program, but in a group. We talked a little bit about it earlier. Um, But in ProTrack in particular, you can meet with one of the pro writers at the studio either every week or every other week. Each session is around 45 minutes and you're sharing pages um, beforehand that they're reading and reviewing and generating notes on. And then you're meeting and literally combing through Line by line and page by page, and and honestly, draft by draft, every single thing you're you're building as a writer. And often in the studio, we start first with the scripting, first with with the craft. But when it comes time to take it out into the world, they're your mentor on like tonight, like how are you pitching this? Um, how are you talking about your work? How are you defining yourself as a writer? Like it's a genuine mentorship. That's ProTrack.
0: ProTrack is. one-on-one mentorship program right where we take you and we pair you with somebody like steve someone like christian someone like jerry james will talk to you he's going to talk to you about how you learn he's going to talk to you about what your budget is right sometimes it's better to be with somebody less famous that's that you can stay with than somebody super famous that you can only be with for a short time um so he's going to talk to you about your budget he's going to talk to you about you know do you like to be pushed hard do you need a gentle hand where are you strong? Where are you weak? What genres are you working on? Is going to get you with the right mentor. And this is basically the program that I wished for when I was coming up. It, It was all I wanted. I just wanted somebody who would read every page I wrote. I just wanted somebody who actually knew more than me, right? Lots of people who knew less than me were willing to read every page I wrote, but nobody who knew more than me was willing to read every page I wrote. I needed the person who was willing when I had just changed one word, but I was pretty sure that did everything. I needed that person who was still going to show up. And so I built ProTrack for that. Imagine that you could have that for an entire lifetime for not thousands of dollars a month, but hundreds of dollars a month, right? No debt. Right? No grad school debt. You don't have to quit your job. It's at your own time. And you have this person to mentor you through your entire career. If you like doing it one on one, you do it in ProTrack. If you like doing it in a group, you can do it in our workshop program. We have our special TV drama and TV comedy workshops that are run like real writer's rooms. And then we have our more general workshops, which are just groups of eight people. They're like writer's rooms, but they're moderated by top-level writers like Steve Bagatorian, where you're actually getting a world-class writer who's making sure that the comments are actually helpful, are actually focused, that people aren't hijacking each other's scripts. And then finally, there's one other class I want to talk about. Then we're going to announce our winners and, and join the breakout rooms. I want to talk about my masterclass. So my masterclass is basically my answer to grad school. It's Uh, A minimum of a year commitment. You can be at any level, but you have to give me a year because I want to actually be able to take your writing to a professional level. Each week, the students choose a different movie or TV show to study. We break it down together as a a group. We use it to understand a different aspect of screenwriting. Um, There's also a question and answer period where you can literally ask me any question you want for the first hour or two of class. So we're spending a whole day together every every month, one Sunday. It's like grad school, but one Sunday a month. If you're interested in that or any of our programs, let me just give you some dates. My next masterclass uh, is December 17th. We're we're studying the social network, um, and there's still time to join. Um, The next write your screenplay uh, with Steve is January 14th. With me is January 30th. The next Write Your TV series class is February 27th, Jerry's brand new workshop. And really, it's going to sell out so fast because so many people have studied with Jerry over the years who would love this class. Um, It's only eight writers can join. Um, That is going to start up on February 13th. It's for eight TV comedy writers run like a real writer's room. And Stephen Bagatorian is also starting a new workshop. His workshop's been sold out forever. So he's starting a new one for us. And that's going to start on March 3rd uh, on Sundays uh, at 5.30 Pacific time. So you can find out all about anything you want. Just jump on James's calendar and let's bring the, the uh, mentors back and we will learn. Oh, and ProTrack, you can start anytime you want. I also have an exciting announcement. My team doesn't even know this yet. We just hired a new faculty member, uh, John J. Strauss, who's going to be starting with us in the new year. Uh, you might know him as the writer of uh, something about Mary, and uh, and the showrunner of Mozart in the Jungle, among thousands of others. So we have a very exciting—he's going to be teaching ProTrack for us. Uh, exciting new faculty member uh, that's going to be that's going to be joining us. Okay, so. Let's bring them back. Let's find out who won. And I think something happened technically with Jerry. Did we get him back? We got his votes in, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, There he is. He's back. Um, So uh, first team, uh, who won the Audience Choice Award? So the Audience Choice Award is a free foundation class. Write your screenplay or write your TV series.
2: Audience Choice Award goes to the Project
0: Kingmaker. Kingmaker Woo! by JD L.A.B. All yeah. right. Congratulations, G- JD. You won the audience choice. Right, and who, who won second place? Second place prize is two months in my master class. It's, uh, it's the second uh, place choice of the teachers.
4: Okay. Uh, the second place winner who I'm very excited to announce is Fred Mazik?
0: All right,
4: Fred! And congratulations! His, uh, his incredible pitch for the pain reliever. Awesome! So, Fred, congratulations! It was a hell of a pitch. Congratulations! We loved it, and hope you uh, hope you enjoy the classes. I think you will.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. And finally, yeah. who won the grand prize? The grand prize is a pitch consultation with any mentor you want including me um you just choose your mentor it's worth up to fifteen hundred dollars um who won the grand prize
2: so drop roll
0: <laughs>
2: the grand prize winner with kingmaker is jd All
0: right taking the prizes home congratulations
2: really nice job jd and, and everybody really this is uh it's a hard thing to do right yeah yeah yep.
0: Honestly, let's give a round of applause for everybody who had the bravery to put their hearts out there and pitch. Um, And thank you for being our community and and supporting them. We're going to open up breakout rooms now. So each mentor is going to end up in a different breakout room. So stay with us. Practice your pitching, ask your questions, and we're going to keep rolling until, until we can't roll no more. So I hope you enjoyed our Pitch Festivus. Uh, if you can, come next year in person. And in the meantime, have an incredibly happy holiday. Have a wonderful new year. Keep your writing going and come study with us. You can do it for free every Thursday night. WriteYourScreenplay.com slash Thursday. Link in bio. And of course, we have our all of our normal programs starting up again in the new year. So if you're looking for that perfect a holiday gift if you're looking to get your energy started again. We have foundation classes. We have master classes. We have Track mentorship program. We have some new wonderful uh, TV comedy, TV drama workshops starting up. We have all kinds of wonderful stuff for you. So come check it out.